Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Nick here. We wanted to help fill the void of no football uh, for the foreseeable future by bringing back some of our throwback episodes. Um, These will be episodes that we did right after Chelsea won a trophy or defeated a big London rival, so they should be pretty fun to listen back to, to hear some of the players mentioned, to hear the trophies that we won. Uh, and so we're going to start off with a little nostalgia right out of the gate, uh, and that is the, uh, the first trophy that we covered as a podcast in 2015 uh, when Chelsea beat Spurs in the then Capital One Cup final at Wembley. Uh, a delightful occasion, beating Spurs Episode in a final, of the London demoralizing them further. Enjoy. Welcome back, Chelsea fans. You're listening to the London is Blue Fancast, where we cover all of the important topics in the EPL. Chelsea. No, seriously, that's it. That's all that matters. Welcome back, fans of the League Cup champions. That's right, Chelsea have won their first trophy of the season, and to make it even sweeter, it was over a London rival. That's right, this is a special trophy edition podcast covering that glorious match at Wembley against Tottenham Hotspur. I've got a menacing midfield three just like Mourinho did today, but unfortunately, mine doesn't have Kurt Zuma marauding around the midfield, but it does include Dan and Nick, so Nick... Have you come off your championship buzz yet? I mean, buzz is relative. I mean, was I a bit buzzed after the match? Yes, I was. Um, but have I come down? No, I haven't. 
Yeah, I, if we were betting, you know, like through bet three six five or Patty Power, I'm sure the you know odds would have been you know one to one that uh, Nick would have still been buzzed. <laughs> <laughs> Those are still probably favorable odds, but rounding off my midfield three is David Pastor from We Ain't Got No History. David, we've had you on before, so welcome back. Uh, thank you. Well, it's good to be back. All right. Well, guys, Tottenham Hotspur. Capital One Cup final. There's a lot of chatter about this, but you know Mourinho heading back to Wembley, a place he is all too familiar with. Uh, the match is on Championship Sunday. Uh, referee Anthony Taylor, and the final score: the Blues two, the Spurs zero. Nick, run us through the predictions. Yeah, um, you, uh, Brandon, had the worst prediction in the history of predictions, uh, which is a one-one draw with Chelsea winning in penalties. Wasn't a uh, loss. Dan- yeah, it, yeah, but it's a terrible way to win. Um, Dan had a 1-0 win. I had a 3-1 win. And uh, Clayton Bierman, our, our guest on the last pod, had a 2-1 victory. I guess that being said, none of us were really that close. We are all pretty uh, e- equally distant from, uh, from the result, but it's a result that we'll all take. I think uh, 2-1 was the most popular prediction I had seen. What about you, David? I know you obviously have a good pulse on the We Ain't Got No History site. Um, what did what was your prediction, I guess, and kind of what did you see? Uh, my personal prediction, I don't think I actually made one, not even just to myself, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was it's safer this way. Uh, yep. Two one is, is uh, I think is was pretty common. I I think that's the that was the score of the last two cup finals between the two teams as well. So and it's a I want to say it's the most common score in football, but I could be making that up. That would have been impressive. Well, either way, um, you know, Jose made a couple lineup changes. There's some big questions going into this game. Obviously, who would fill the shoes of Modic? Um, who would Marino go with in goal? And was Gary Cahill or Zuma going to start at center back? So, Dan, the mystery was solved. What did he do? Well, he did put in uh, Petr Cech. You know, we had the benefit of having Branislav, Cahill, Terry, Aspilicueta, Fabregas, Zuma, Ramirez, Hazard, Costa, William kind of as our starting lineup. Uh, so, you know, thinking about, you know, Courtois and, and Felipe Luis and what they've kind of done, kind of the lead-up, uh, we're, you know, on the bench for the start of this match. And uh, then we also had uh, Ake as well, too, who uh, I think some people were, you know, potentially... You know, on Twitter talking about would he start in the absence of Matic, uh, kind of you know, being a natural fit in that role. Uh, you know, Oscar on the bench as well as uh, Quadrado, Drago, and Remy. So I mean, we definitely had a lot of attacking power on the bench, but you know, I think we got a chance to see uh, Zuma kind of try to fill the hole that uh, you know was left with Matic, which is uh, some some big shoes to fill, even if you're you know six four at 19 years old. Uh, <laughs> but uh, did so admirably. What a crazy uh, kind of lineup when I was looking at it before. I mean, I'm sure, Nick, everyone was just focused on how would Zuma do in that mid- in that midfield holding role. You know, I guess technically it was a 4-3-3, though, so the lineup was, you know, changed a little bit. Yeah, I mean, just by necessity. I mean, and and I think the the lineup and the formation changing a bit just shows you how important uh, Nemanja Matic is for the, for the team. He does so many things. 
uh, and it's almost impossible on on this team to replace him like for like. Uh, I I tweeted this out from the from our Twitter account. I thought Kurt Zuma was our man of the match to be 19 years old and to step up like he did in that role and to basically put Harry Kane in his back pocket uh, and not let him get away the entire match uh, to cover as much ground as he did without having played in that role uh, very often this year. Uh, absolutely commendable and just a fantastic performance from a guy who I think we all have pretty high hopes for going forward. David, what did you think of the lineup? I was very surprised, first of all. Um, but in all honesty, it, it really wouldn't have surprised me to see Mourinho switch to a 4-3-3 instead of the 4-2-3-1 that we ran out on New Year's Day. Because that one, even with Matic in there, that was really, really played really badly against Spurs that day. And part of the reason was because uh, was because Matic got taken out of the game. He got dragged all over the place, which left basically Sesk in the middle, and that's just a bad idea on any day. Yep. So, in in some sense, um, deploying a guy like Zuma, who basically played the role that uh, Mourinho asked Pepe to play multiple times on Messi, and just put him on a guy on Eriksen this time and take him out of the game completely and leave the other two midfielders, uh, Ramirez and Fabregas, to uh, switch back and you know try to cover the rest of the gaps. Um, maybe, maybe he does that even with Matic in there and just add another guy into midfield. You never know. You know Mourinho will always do what's necessary to win if it's, you know, if it's to play defensively or switch the team around. He'll do it. I think that's one of his big strengths uh, that he's proven over the years is he can adapt and uh, mold his team into whatever is necessary, and he did just that. Um, top performers coming from uh, whoscored.com had Cesar Azpilicueta as the top performer, obviously in his role, but John Terry's up there, Ivanovic is up there, Zuma's up there, and Hazard. Um, can't imagine there's too many arguments for that. You know, I mean, Costa played well, but... You know, he kind of drifted in and out a little bit, Nick. Yeah, I mean, he again, uh, we said this last week, and uh, I think it holds true again. He didn't have a ton of phenomenal service in this game. Um, a lot of the balls that were played to him were uh, out on the wing. Um, there hasn't been uh, the early season, you know, Sesk uh, connection with, with those imaginary I don't know how he sees them, but those crazy through balls that uh, that they were partnering on uh, earlier in the year. So uh, they have to find a different way to get him involved. Obviously, I think teams have figured out what he likes to do, and uh, you know, I think that he made himself more of a threat in this game, which was great. He he took players on and was able to dribble, and uh, you know, of course, he he got into his normal antics with uh, Tottenham defenders, and that was you know what it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, th I think he was okay. I mean, there, there was no doubt that we needed a strong presence up front, and he, he provided that. Well, jumping into kind of some of the, the before-the-game stuff, um, the poll on the official Capital One Cup page had Chelsea winning 57% and 43% of Tottenham. But let's be honest, I don't think that many people even voted. There's probably like out of 30 people. Now, all, all the votes went to uh, capturing the uh, the arc. So, oh, yeah. so there, was, there weren't yeah. enough uh, internet votes left around. 
That's right. They lit up the art. What a weird thing. Uh, I mean, it's all right. I mean, it's weird, though, because when I when I think of Arch, I think of the St. Louis Arch, like the crazy huge like, yeah. mammoth thing. And it's just like a smaller version of that on top of a stadium that they can light fireworks from. So it's a, it's a little. They have to try to they have to try to come up with something iconic once they knock the towers down for the yeah. old Wembley. So I guess it's the best they could do. It's like they're trying to like have a giant come by and like pick the stadium up like a purse or something. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, back on track. Chelsea have now won 14 trophies since 2004-2005 season. Nick, um, quick mental math on your part. Mm-hmm. How, what does that compare to Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester City, and Spurs combined? Yeah, uh-huh, the same amount. So, wow. I mean, take take United out of it. Um, and, and, you know, obviously Chelsea and United have battled for trophies over the last, you know, 10, 15 years pretty evenly. Um, but that, that's a pretty impressive statistic. And I think it tells you, um, in, in a, you know, we're, we've entered a different era now with financial fair play and, and UEFA and, and – how the club is being run. It's not as much of a free-spending club anymore, and um, it's it's good to see that Chelsea's mentality uh, on the accounting books uh, can match up with its uh, drive and determination to win trophies. That is Mourinho's 10th win in 12 major finals and his 21st trophy in 15 years in management. He's averaging over almost one and a half trophies a season. Yeah, that's that is unbelievable. I mean, ten out of twelve. It makes you think what he did wrong in the two that he lost. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think he's four out of four just with Chelsea as well. He's never lost a, a cup final with Chelsea. Man, in Mourinho we trust. Uh, there, it it's proven, statistically proven that you are better off with Mourinho. <laughs> Um, but, you know, let's jump into the match a little bit, Dan. Uh, definitely a slow start for Chelsea. I think everyone can admit that Tottenham uh, were kind of on the forefront, but uh, that turned pretty quick. Yeah, I think we saw, you know, two different sides of the match as well, too. You know, we saw a very, you know, getting in the groove kind of first half, especially with the changes to the lineup, but then I think, you know, gave Tottenham an opportunity to kind of come at us and, and try to, you know, counter in, and we weren't necessarily getting service forward, you know. I think to the point Nick was making earlier with some of the the magic missing in the early moments of the match. But uh, thankfully, that really changed in the second half when we kind of, you know, just started to dominate possession. Yeah, you know, I think at the end of the first half, it was you know somewhere close to you know high 50s um, percent of possession to Tottenham, and and that obviously was uh, was not pleasant. I mean, they even dominated for the entire game as well too at 63 uh, percent. So, you know. Ultimately, the possession really didn't matter as much as the uh, the end result for us. What uh, what do you think, Nick? About um, you know what made Chelsea stand out this uh, this game compared to what we've seen? You know, Marino had a whole week to prepare. You know, he's going to take advantage of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I want to get David's opinion on this too because he he covers the club every single day. But for me, it was. Uh, the set piece that led to the to the first goal right on the stroke of halftime. I mean, any time you score on the 45th minute or or you know a little bit later in, in stoppage time, it just 
it breathes a new life into your team. Uh, and I think that that goal was so crucial. It came at a time where we had finally started to get involved a little bit more. Uh, I think, you know, I pinpointed right about the 35th minute, the team started to pick up, have a little bit more possession. And uh, we were getting some some over-the-top balls, some through balls, and, you know, had a couple fouls. And, and you know, that led to uh, uh, a pretty – uh, a pretty scrappy goal on on JT's part, but who else would who else would be there than your than your captain and the the guy to kind of lead the charge? Yeah, no time like uh, two minutes before the half to score. And then we almost had the opportunity too with uh, Cahill with a uh, you know, a header as well in stoppage time, and then the you know right after the break with Fabregas getting the you know trying to go for the bicycle, which was. Uh, Oof, would have been so beautiful. It would have been so pretty. You see, you see, guys mess that up all the time. The uh, the one thing I will point out about the first half, which I thought was a little odd because we haven't done this very much um, this year, is the the far post corner kick. Um, finally got to work, uh, you know, with the Cahill header that that Dan referenced. Uh, but I thought that was a very odd strategy, con- considering that we usually go near post and try and get a flick on. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I saw with what Ivanovic was able to pull off finally that that was kind of the game plan, but a uh, very odd tactic there. I think especially odd, too, given that we had Manich out of the lineup as well, so you're losing a bit of that height yeah. that uh, we like to have in the box. I want to say it's it's Matic who makes the, the far post run normally, so maybe that yeah. could have played into it. They just skipped a step and, and put Ivanovic on the back post instead of well, having him go middle or front. Yeah, I mean, which isn't a bad... I mean, obviously, with his aerial threat, it's not a bad guy to have there. It just seemed a little bit uh, odd, uh, considering the... I, I would bet the percentage of our corner kicks going to the to the front or middle is, is incrementally higher than it is to the far post. You know, I kind of want to talk about uh, the set pieces. I think Chelsea were um, so like just efficient and effective on their set pieces today. Uh, it's kind of funny. When you look at that replay, Spurs had about four or five guys on the near post. Clearly they knew, Nick, what you're saying. Chelsea go near post. But if you look at it, everyone stepped forward and then dropped back, and that's where they're wide open on the back post. But, I mean, literally four Tottenham guys were on the near post, and they dropped back. And I think you know, Marino looked at that and switched some things up. Uh, the other one I really, really liked was, remember when William had it on the right wing? And uh, Cahill was wide open on the backside, jumping for it, but he played it short across the top of the box to Hazard. And then Fabregas delayed his run and then peeled in behind everyone, and yeah. they just missed him. I mean, Rose got a touch on it, but Fabregas is right there and still got a header. Chelsea were so dangerous on their set pieces. Um, it was... To me, like I said, it was extremely impressive. I felt like they were well rehearsed and even better executed uh, in this game, and that was a huge part of it. You know, in comparison, Tottenham, especially at the very end, they were wasting their corner kicks. They were taking them short with no one in the box, or they were taking them like right away, and they maybe had one guy in the box. And so, to me, I just really felt like set pieces was a huge uh, difference between the two teams today. Well, I think also beyond the check, uh, the set pieces, you know, the willingness to try shots from a, a little bit of a longer range. I mean, we saw, you know, Hazard outside the box willing to kind of, you know, make a shot where we've been, uh, you know, 
not not a successful shot, but a willingness to make an attempt kind of outside of the you know ticky tack in or walking into the goal that we've seen kind of sometimes this season. So I think that was a you know a necessary change, um, and I thought you know ultimately kind of made it more of a threat too in the attacking third. Yeah, it was refreshing to see. I mean, if you can't walk it into the goal, you have to start trying something else. So obviously our our set piece delivery was uh, good. I think if you you know especially in the first half if if you're not really seeing that much of the ball and you're not possessing the ball, you can't really walk into the goal, so you have to figure out another way to score. Uh, I think the team did that. Uh, Dan, to make fun of a Tottenham player with your shots from distance comment, what is Benteleb thinking shooting five or six times from 40 yards? <laughs> you know, he, he's thinking like it. He just wants to emulate American football and, uh, you know. I mean, Christ, he was hitting the upper deck with those, man. I mean, it was crazy. Well, he thought you get three points if you kick it through the uprights. So wow. that's pretty impressive because the stands aren't even that close at Wembley. It's not like <laughs> there's a track. Yeah, yeah, you got to clear the track and everything. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, any chance to poke fun at, at Spurs is good. Well, I know one another thing I really loved was uh, Zuma just marauding around the midfield. He was everywhere. Um, and just to see him run down like a little Erickson or even like a Chadley who's not that small, but he is just so much bigger than every, any other person in that midfield. Uh, it was just hilarious. I loved watching it. Yeah. I, I, I think the one thing that you noticed with Zuma is, and, and will change because he, he's still growing into his body. And, you know, I, I think we mentioned this earlier that he still has a little bit of awkward athleticism to him. Like, obviously, he's a stud athlete can do everything that, that you want a footballer to do, but still hasn't quite notched up the gear yet. And you saw a couple of times where he wanted to uh, to start a break like Matic does or like Fabregas does, and it just took him a little bit longer to get out of first gear uh, and, and get up the field. And uh, you know, I know by the end of the game that he uh, that Chelsea got their worth from him. He was he was tuckered out at the end of the game for sure. But uh, again, he's immense. It's tough to get the ball by him. Uh, I think that you know whatever. Matic works on in, in training as far as tackling goes that Zuma's picked up on some of that because you saw some of those very same tackles um, with with what happens to be like an extendo leg that just reaches around and taps the ball out. Uh, he was he was fantastic, man. Yeah, I feel like it's a, uh, a displayed level of restraint. You know, I think he's not, you know, not willing you know, or not you know, maybe comfortable yet with, you know, kind of doing everything that maybe Amadish would or, you know, kind of moving as far out. You know, I think seems he's really kind of following, you know, Mourinho's direction of, hey, this is what I need you to do. This is the role you need to do. You know, just, just do that, you know, perfectly for me. And uh, I think he executed on that. And I think we're getting to jump in at a really awesome point in a young athlete's career uh, watching him develop because I think the next, you know, five, six, seven years uh, of Zuma is going to be pretty, pretty fucking incredible. Yeah. Well, you know, I know that John Terry is awaiting his contract extension, but I think that obviously we know he played phenomenal. We're talking about how well Zuma played, but I think Cahill showed uh, a lot of poise, and I think he did really well today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and yeah, I I want to hear David's thoughts on on Cahill. Um, but I I I wrote this in in our in our notes, and I thought that you know I was watching him because. Beginning of the match, you know, when the lineups were released, it, it wasn't clear whether Zuma or Cahill was going to be playing in midfield, and I was fine with either of them. I, I was happier to see Zuma there, uh, just due to his athleticism. But uh, I was, I kind of in my, 
show watching eyes kind of pinpointed Cahill as a guy I wanted to watch and he covered well, he tackled well, uh, he committed himself to those uh, to getting in front of shots uh, in the box and I thought overall this was much more of a Cahill from last year performance um, than any that he's had this year. I thought he played very well. David? Oh yeah, he was cool. Um, <laughs> I, I think uh, I'm obviously not the biggest fan of Gary Cahill, never have been, but um, he was definitely much, much better than he was last time we played Spurs, which again is not really saying much just because he was absolutely terrible that day, but um, maybe, you know, I learned from your own mistakes, I guess, so he definitely had a better handle on Kane this time. Uh, of course, the whole team was very aware of the young guy. And, you know, the first I saw the the foul that resulted in the free kick from which Erickson hit the bar. But, you know, like half the team was trying to tackle that guy. And I have no idea what he was doing, but he was pretending to be Maradona out there trying to dribble <laughs> his way to the goal. That was a little ridiculous. But, I mean, as far as Cahill, I think both uh, both Cahill and Zuma played really well. And part of that was because uh, neither was really charged with doing anything too complicated. Um, you know, last season Cahill was pretty good, really good, actually, um, just because we played a very, or a much more conservative, uh, much more defensive game most of the time. And he's really good at that. Uh, when we do, when you play a bit more expansive, um, he's not so good anymore. He gets isolated one-on-one, and he gets beaten a lot. But today, he had plenty of support, you know, with Zuma in front, shielding. It was, it was, it was good. Well, I think he also benefited, too, from uh, Aspilicueta, you know, just bossing it, especially in the second oh, yeah. half. Yeah, oh, yeah, was- I should say, uh, we played... Um, very conservative wing backs this this time around, and that was a huge change from what we normally do. Um, I remember I was chatting with Graham during the game, and I actually had to ask him if he had even seen Ivanovic cross the halfway line, because it didn't seem like he he literally stopped at the halfway line every time. And uh, we actually ended up scoring our goal, our first goal from like the second or third time he even crossed over. So. You know, both both support on the wings, tucking in towards the end. It, it's it, the game plan definitely was there to help Cahill and Zuma excel. But that's pretty classic Mourinho. You know, uh, yeah. Cup final, be a little more conservative, uh, especially even when, when Quadrado came in. I don't think he really, you know, uh, passed the half line either. He was very much oh, yeah. back to help. Um, but you know, I think that. It's a one game, you know. It's a it's a little different in a uh, cup final, but uh, they executed really well. I thought the defensive team with Czech as a unit did really well. You know, I don't know. I didn't think Czech had to really do too much, um, and every threat that came in the box, I thought the defenders were phenomenal at attacking it and getting, um, you know, a first boot to the ball. But you know, I guess kind of looking as as we go, you know, we we saw Costa got the second goal, and I can only assume he got it. Because the Tottenham fans gave him their lucky coin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, what a what a bold move by those fans. I mean, you have a lucky coin. You know, you, 
you used it in the five three win in January, and and then you just give it away carelessly. I mean, thankfully well, he what? felt it and found it. Are, are what I want to know is where where did he put it? Uh, it kind of seemed like his butt, actually. Yeah. <laughs> he has like a secret pocket in his shorts. <laughs> My question was more: Was it, are we sure it was the coin, or was it the pin commemorative pin from the uh, the win uh, in January? <laughs> oh man. DVD. A <laughs> couple of the shards that were left over. Man, well, I, you know that is that is kind of funny, it, and that is t- that's typical Costa. You know, he um, absolutely you know feeds off that. It doesn't get him down. Um, him and Bentaleb got into it a little bit in the first half, and you know he he was getting chippy. He had no problem at all. Danny Rose taking a chop at him. You know the back line, and, you know. He definitely, um, I think, bossed their back line. And, you know, Nick pointed out that he was getting the ball out wide a little bit. But sure enough, that one time that they found him wide open, one-on-one with the center back in the middle of the box, he turned him uh, and he got his goal. Granted, it was off a bit of a friendly deflection, but, you know, he created that space against Kyle Walker so well. Um, and had a good shot, you know. Chelsea had two goals off deflections, but I think that they created enough uh, that they were still earned very much so. Dan? Yeah. Yeah, we, we just were so quick off the uh, the counter. Uh, you know, I mean, we had some, you know, maybe poor play from Ramirez trying to help kind of push it forward, but I think when it got in, you know, the boots of Hazard or, you know, Costa or Fabregas kind of moving the ball forward, uh, we saw, you know, even William, too, we were really kind of getting the ball forward quick enough to, uh, to help create those opportunities. And I, I think, you know, we got to see a, a really nice performance. Uh, you know, I don't think it goes down in, in the history books as being one of the best matches you're ever going to watch. But uh, it definitely was wonderful to see in the absence of Matic, you know, in the kind of controversy of, you know, proper refereeing. Um, you know, I think one thing we haven't talked about is that yet, which I think is a, a good sign, kind of considering yep. what this past uh, week and a half of this has looked like for us. And uh, you know, I think we, we did get good distribution and good ball movement forward. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The uh, a thing that I'll point out too is that you know I was I was watching this in Kansas City, and we have a, a nice watch uh, watch pub to go to, and there's probably about you know 75 80 people for this thing, which I thought was awesome. Um, and when Costa got into his first little altercation, everybody in the bar just started laughing, and I think that. <laughs> You know, and that's Spurs fans as well. I mean, that's his reputation. You know, it's almost, you almost want to put a bet on it. You know, at what minute will Costa get in somebody's face and, and act tough? And, um, you know, it's just, that's kind of his mannerism at this point. Uh, the refereeing thing is interesting, though. I thought that uh, Anthony Mason had a pretty decent match overall. He was he was very uh, conservative when it came to handing out cards. I remember there were a few times that, you know, I thought our guys might get carded, and, and he waved it off. And um, for a cup final, I thought that was a it was it was refreshing to see some good refereeing. Well, it was certainly better than last time we had him, so that's always a plus. <laughs> yeah, and then even you know, compound. It's just been a bad week for the referees across the league. You know, sending off West Brown yesterday and Sunderland instead of John O'Shea. I mean, that's. <laughs> That's not even as bad as who was it? Was it? It was an Arsenal where they sent yeah. off. Uh, they like, sent off. Uh, like people Ox are saying Gibbs. Yeah, they're saying it's mistaken identity, but I think he just really thought it was West Brown who fouled the 
the guy. Yeah. Well, like you said, like thankfully we did come out on the better end, obviously, as we look at the officiating through this week. But um, I don't know. I guess uh, anything else that you have on this game, Nick? No. Happy with the win. Um, you know, I think you know as as we transition, uh, we got a we got a couple of of tweets in uh, topics that our fans wanted us to cover, and and the first is from Sam Kathungu. Um, he wanted to kind of go in detail over Mourinho's trophy hall, Brandon. You want to race down the list, including, uh, obviously, today's Capital One Cup victory? What, does he think this is an hour-and-a-half episode? We just talked about <laughs> how many trophies Mourinho's won. Sam, come on, man. Well, you know, to go real quick at Porto, he picked up one, two, three, four, five, you know, six trophies, including the Champions League, the UEFA Cup, um, a couple league titles, and then a couple of their league cups as well. Uh, we all know what he did in Chelsea, picked up the league back-to-back in 0405, 5 6 uh, added an FA Cup, and uh, he's no stranger to this football league cup that is now his third time winning it. Um, and he also threw in a community shield in there as well. Uh, at Inter Milan, he won Serie A, their Copa Italia, the Super Copa Italia. Seriously? They're different? <laughs> yeah, it's the, that's their version of the like Super Cup. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, yeah. And then they've got the Champions League as well. Uh, and then his last stint at Real Madrid uh, won La Liga, won the Copa del Rey, and then the Supercopa de España as well. So, um, you know, but if you go to the top of the Wikipedia page, it says between 2003 and 2012, Mourinho did not go a single calendar year without winning a trophy. That is, yeah, that's insane. And I think maybe a more uh, direct comparison to uh, some other Premier League managers, perhaps. Um, Arsene Wenger, 26 years managing 17 trophies. Louis Van Aal, uh, 23 years managing 19 trophies. Mourinho is really, I mean, over the last 11 years, uh, 21 trophies. Uh, so half the amount of time, maybe even more than uh, half the amount of time and, and more trophies. Pretty impressive. Um, and by pretty impressive, I mean very fucking impressive. <laughs> <laughs> He's a winner. Yep. Uh, second question from M. Wilkstrom. Uh, this is more of a tactical question for the team. Uh, where does Ramirez fit? He wants to know if we have enough cover. Uh, should Matic or Sesk be unavailable? I'm gonna let David take this one. Uh, well, we're not gonna cover either of those guys with Ramirez. Um, he's pretty unique in what he offers and. Um, we saw today what he what that is is if he plays in the middle in the midfield three, he's the guy that's gonna close down and harass everybody, anybody and everybody basically as long as he can run, which is a pretty long time. <laughs> so yep. uh, it's you know it, it's it's always he's I don't think he's a starter anymore on this team. I think that's pretty obvious with uh, Matic and Sesk being our preferred central midfield. But especially in games like today or in specialized applications, there are few people in the world better at doing what he can do. I mean, if you, even if you just look at the stats, I mean, he had like seven or eight tackles and just running around everywhere, and you compare it to somebody like what Zuma did or what Matic does usually who are playing a much more positional 
anticipatory type of game. You know, it's he's just pretty unique in that in that way. And then being able to make those runs up, you know, especially late in the game, tip in with a few goals. Yep. That's... Ramirez had seven tackles, won three aerial duels, um, and his heat map is mainly along the right side, but it's box to box. I think everyone um, pretty much knows that is his role. I think the four three three sits suits him perfectly for Chelsea. Um, the four two three one maybe not as much. Um, but you, you know you're right, David. He is a very unique skill set. Um, dude battles, and he never runs out of steam. Um, but but uh, speaking, yeah. Thing to keep in mind too is uh seven tackles, but also five fouls as well. Oh yeah, that's that's your typical uh, Ramirez line right there. So yeah. he's uh, uh, continues and to probably be zero the yellow package. cards. And uh, you know, uh, thankfully this time uh, zero yellow cards. Yeah. I think I think I looked at this last year. He. He has an amazing ratio of fouls to yellow cards in terms of a positive way for us. He, he has so many small fouls, and he almost never gets a yellow for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess a question that I would have, maybe just to pose to the group then, would be, you know, Matic is out uh, at, at, uh, at West Ham uh, for West Ham on Wednesday. Um, do you guys believe that Zuma will start there again? Uh, is that is this something that you know Zuma kind of becomes a, a tweener for us? Can play central defensive midfield and um, join in uh, defense? No, this is this is a one-off in my opinion. Uh, it's kind of funny. I was listening to Talksport after I don't know this afternoon, and apparently he admitted this is the first time he's ever played that position. <laughs> I just yeah. think that he was given specific orders, uh, like David was talking about. And it's a very much a one-time thing, you know. I, I you would hope that Ake could hold his own in a league game, you know. Maybe just because it's a cup final, they were a little more nervous. But um, my opinion is no, it won't be a long term. You know, but then we also saw you know Ivanovic come to Chelsea and you know to center back by nature, but plays right back. So I, I think that we you know definitely have uh, a manager who likes to play around with. You know, just the physical attributes and the football intelligence of players. So, you know, I I I would never venture to guess what Mourinho is thinking in terms of a lineup because every time I try to guess what it is, there's always some wrinkle that you know I, I'm not aware of that ends up being the perfect uh, placement. So, I, I think he's going to play him wherever he feels like he's going to be successful, and it, it might be in this role. Um, you know, and then the game that we have this week. Yeah, it's, uh, I I would be personally surprised to see him out there again, but I was surprised to see him there today, so you never know. Um, he did mention, it's been it, it's been mentioned about Zuma before, people are quick to compare him to uh, Marcel Desailly, who, you know, was also French, was also big and strong, and could also, <laughs> uh, was a center back who was could also play defensive midfield really well. And, in fact, that uh, when he was at AC Milan, because of the other defenders at Milan were so good, he was often deployed at defensive midfield, and he played that role for Chelsea, too. And Mourinho tellingly mentioned that in his post-match comments. So, you know, maybe he does see more of a role for Zuma there in the future. You never know. That would be so, so scary to just have him running... The pivot is in midfield. 
He's a monster, man. He's an absolute monster. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not sure really how... He's definitely more of a single destroyer type of guy. Somebody like, you know, who would I wouldn't deploy him in a pivot type of situation. Like, I wouldn't play him next to, to Susk, really, because he doesn't... I'm not sure he has that in him yet to be as complete as Matic, but... Yeah, the passing is definitely a question. Um, you, that's that's the beauty of Matic. He always uh, seems right. to make the right pass and, and can link up with Sesk pretty well. I think in the 4-3-3 it makes sense a lot more because he has two options in midfield that he can link up with, but yeah. uh, pivot would be tough. And even even today you saw a lot of like Hazard dropping deep to pick up the ball to help out because Zuma wasn't the guy tasked with transition or distribution or... Anything like that. He had one role, and he played that really well. Cool. All right. Well, another Twitter fun fact. Chelsea's defense, Ivanovic, Terry, Zuma, Cahill, Aspilicueta, um, in 2014-2015 season, currently are sitting at 16 goals and 13 assists. And that is from our soon-to-be best friend, Jake Cohen. Popping up on uh, the Chelsea Fancast podcast and on the Chelsea Fans YouTube channel, making a making a bit of an appearance over in London. Jake, keep it up, man. I think if you take that in context, if you think about most assists right now, uh, it's it's Sesk with 15s, but our defense is contributing more than Sigurdsson, Baines, uh, uh, Di Maria, and Downing all have eight, so they're the ones right after Sesk. And if you think about you know top scorers. Uh, one less than Aguero and Costa, and then more than Austin, Kane, or Sanchez at uh, 14 and then 12. Wow. Aren't you just full of gems today, Dan? Uh, you know, once in a while. He was saving up all those stats from his missed podcast. He, he wanted to say those a couple weeks ago, but, but now is the perfect time. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it's the spirit. It's the spirit of Wembley. It's the spirit of a win. It's, uh, it's exciting times, and I think you know, it just shows that how how integral it team play is. You know, I think that we're not a single player. You know, we, yeah. we have great talent and we have a wonderful team and I think that's, you know, why we are doing as well as we are. I love Chelsea too. And speaking <laughs> of things just going oh so well for the Blues, well, we took a weekend off in the Premier League. So did Manchester City. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, City. Thank you, Liverpool. I don't know who would like to take more credit. Um, but 2-1, City go down. Um, now we have a game in hand, and we're still on five points, and we've got a trophy. And John Terry has said, you win a trophy in the middle of the season, that will only build a ton of confidence. And Petr Cech talked about how it would give the team a boost. Um, so that's, this is a great weekend all around. And I will say, too, the goals from that game, specifically the, the Henderson and Coutinho, uh, Coutinho goal, were incredible goals. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I, when we when we looked back at the first podcast we did, I thought Liverpool, you know, early in the season, before I knew any better, were going to be our our toughest competition for the year. They've they've really played well, if we're if we're honest, um, since since the new year, and it was a great victory for them today, an even better victory for for Chelsea today. Um, and you know, city city's weird, man. Uh, last week I thought they looked like they were destroying. You're, we're going to go on a run of just destroying everybody. 
this week they looked kind of toothless, and you just never know what you're going to get from them. Obviously, if you know you go and and Chelsea does their job on on Wednesday, then you know that lead increases to eight, and uh, it's a whole different viewpoint than what we had last week. I can kind of go from the low uh, all the way up to this magnificent high. It's a it's kind of a crazy transition. Well, looking ahead at that West Ham game, uh, return to Premier League action, uh, playing at, um, at West Ham. Wednesday, it'll be March 4th, and, um, you know, probably going to be some changes, you know, some, some tired legs potentially, but um, Chelsea are in form with three wins, two draws in the last five Premier League matches. Hammers are without a win, three draws and two losses. A bit of a slump, you know, they were poking around in the top four, top five for a while, but they have now dropped to ninth place, uh, while Chelsea, as we said, are still in first. Um, I don't know, I mean, Nick, do you remember when we played them uh, a day after Christmas, Chelsea ran away 2-0 at Stamford Bridge? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, it, it was ugly, just like most of these matches are. Uh, it's rare that Chelsea and West Ham play a beautiful game of football, so I think that's probably what we're going to see um, on, on Wednesday. I mean, David, any dissenting opinion on that? I don't remember that game, actually. All I remember is the score. John Terry and Costa with the goals. Uh, JT scored like in the first minute or something like that, and then yeah, Hazard had the like. um, But yeah, it. You know, I guess David, maybe just go ahead and speak to what do you think? Kind of like maybe some lineup changes will be. Uh, you know, maybe Felipe Luis getting in specifically after Espilicueta's uh-huh. busted head. <laughs> ah, he's a hero. Um, I'm not sure. Really, we don't have a game, another game afterwards for a week, because there's no league, there's no league games on the weekend. So, if people are ready to go, um, yeah, I'm not sure there's going to be really significant changes. What about Oscar? We haven't really seen a lot of him lately. Yeah, I mean, we probably would go back to our usual four-two-three-one, but that's assuming that Mourinho deems Ramirez and Sesk to be good enough in midfield. You know, that's that's the that's always been the trick. Whenever we discussed uh, which formation should we go with, should it be three midfield or two and then three attackers. You know, the one of the biggest uh, issues is what to do with Oscar. Is do you play him as a right wing, which he's all right at right wing, but you know, it's not his best position. Do you play him as one of the midfield three, which we've seen before a long time ago with Di Matteo? Uh, actually, he was a midfield two. Was his his super attacking lineup had him and Ramirez playing it in center midfield. That's again, that's not really his ideal position. So it's it really comes down to what, how how we're gonna fit him. Into what what sort of role? Is you know his ideal position is definitely the number ten. He's the prototypical Mourinho number ten, the modern number ten, and uh, the rest of the team needs to be molded around that probably. So do you think the the problem with Oscar is that the 
the formation isn't really lending itself to to having him in, or is he just not stepping up to the to the task? Well, the, with the four three three, I don't think that it takes advantage of his talents as well as the four two three one. Now he, he, he you know he's not always uh, he has had his slumps, especially in the second half of the seasons, but when he's on, he's uh, crucial to how we play, and you know, the, with people are saying Sesk is fading a little bit now that we're in the second half of the season, but I think just as crucially, Oscar hasn't had hasn't had the best of times lately, and that's really disrupted our fluidity up front. Yep. So we need we need him to to get back to what he, we know he can do. And um, the rest of the team will fall in place after that. I think a, a slumping West Ham would be a, a perfect opportunity for him to to regain his form and uh, his legs beneath him. Yeah, good old West Ham. You never know. Do you do you think this is a opportunity for Quadrado to to cut his teeth on the road? Uh, it's tough to it's tough to say with Quadrado. Yeah, we really haven't. I don't think we really have seen anywhere near what he can do. I don't think he's really meshed with the team as as well. He's he's shown some understanding with Hazard, but that's about it. Everybody seems to be passing behind him and just in the wrong place. So uh, if if Williams ready to go, I prefer William to go. Uh, I wouldn't. This would not be the time to uh, to risk Quadrado. I don't think. Well, thankfully, thankfully to the FAs, just you know, kind and gentle hearts, it will be our last game without Matic. Um, you know, it definitely be a battle. You know, West Ham, they're they're always tough. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they play. Um, you know, they've definitely got some. Um, Enter Valencia and Diafra Sacco. They played well, I think, so far this season. Um, it, it's funny because when those two are in, uh, it's so different from when Carroll's in. You know, they play that long ball to Carroll and run off it or flick, but they seem to be a lot more fluid with uh, Enter Valencia and Diafra Sacco. Um, and it sounds like those are the two they're going to be in. So Chelsea going to have their hands full. Um, but Nick, prediction time, man. What do you what do you have? Oh. Um, I'm going ugly. I'm going one nil win. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, these, these matches are just ugly usually. So. Dan. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a you know I buoyed by the wonderful performance and the the positive energy. I'm gonna say it's gonna be three nil. Ooh. Oh, David, what are you thinking? We're gonna make you make a public. Oh man! Prediction. <laughs> Beat for the fire. I I think I'll go one nil as well. Though I don't think it's going to be super ugly. I just think it's we're we're going to control the game a little better than today. Um, I don't know. West Ham contrived to lose to Crystal Palace uh, last weekend, so I hope that they're just as terrible on Wednesday as they were that day. Yeah, come on, Big Sam, just roll over. Uh, isn't aren't Sam Allardyce and Mourinho pretty good friends? I sure. 
Yeah, maybe. I felt like I've heard that they've like talked or something. Like in the off season when Mourinho was coming back, Big Sam was like in the know. He, you never know. You never know. Big Sam likes to claim lots of things, like <laughs> that he's a sophisticated manager and things like that. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. he called he out. He got talent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll just say it. Um, I'm gonna go two one. Um, you know, partially because I think that Chelsea be riding a high, um, but you know, with Sako and Valencia, they are just tough um, and they're relentless. So I think they might pull one uh, back after Chelsea are coasting comfortably at two nothing. So um, let's see, Nick, go ahead and lead us off with some final thoughts. Yeah, uh, to the at Charlie Skilling, they posted a great picture of, of themselves at Wembley. It's three generations of beating Tottenham. Um, fantastic photo and uh, and kudos to kudos to you guys. That's right, Charlie. This is our official shout out to get on the pod. We've talked. Dan, what's your final thought? My final thought is uh, I'm very much looking forward to uh, Yokohama uh, tires and yes. the uh, <laughs> wonderful sponsorship that we'll be celebrating next year. So much money. <laughs> we got many problems, but money ain't one. <laughs> no, it's not. David, do you kind of anything you want to buy? Tires. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> uh, no, it feels great to win a trophy, and uh, hopefully it's the first of many more to come. I agree. It was great celebrating by myself in the apartment, <laughs> um, you know, just making a lot of noise. But my final thought is I am – just so impressed with Mourinho uh, after the game with the celebrations. They asked him, you know, who, I think, or maybe they named that John, John Terry was the man of the match, and he said, no, 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 the man of the match is Courtois, Felipe Luis, Christensen, um, Ake, everyone on the bench, and he just goes down the list talking about how, um, you know, they have done so much to get Chelsea to the final, uh, and it is such a team sport and a team drive that all of them, um, for them to sacrifice places in the team uh, and to be on the bench and still be as committed to the cause as they were was phenomenal. And I think that, uh, you know, that shows a lot of class and it shows a lot of just intelligence on Mourinho's part for, you know, publicly being very inclusive of everyone and, um, you know, accepting the fact that they have sacrificed a lot to not play in a final but still giving them a lot of credit. So, uh, well played, Mourinho, well played. Yeah, I mean, he looked he looked so happy <laughs> after the match. I mean, it was it was great to see. I mean, you don't you don't see that type of emotion from him a lot and you know, I think it was very important for him to win a trophy at Chelsea again. Obviously, this is the the smallest of of the goals for for the year, but uh, fantastic to see. Onward and upward. That's right. Mourinho is celebrating like a boss. I took a bunch of vines and posted them. I'm sure you guys have seen them, but he like did <laughs> a little water at the camera, sliding yeah. in the ground like a slip and slide. Mourinho is in high spirits today. He loves the league cup. It's his thing. Phenomenal. All right. Well, Chelsea fans, that is it for today. But make sure you tune in on Wednesday, Chelsea versus West Ham at the Hammer Stadium. You've got our predictions, so let us know yours. And if we missed anything covering 
this League Cup final? Make sure to let us know in the comments. That will do it for this show, Chelsea fans. But don't worry, the London is Blue podcast will be back soon to keep you up to date on all of Chelsea's news and results. So until then, make sure to follow us on Twitter at London Blue Pod for the latest and greatest banter. And make sure to send us your questions to London is Blue Podcast at gmail.com. Keep the blue flag flying high, Chelsea fans. 